So we will be reading um, from the book of John. So for the proper context, we will be reading the entire chapter of the book of the 15th chapter of the book of John. So that is John chapter 15, verses 1 to 27. So again, it's John chapter 15, verses 1 to 27. And please join me in reading the word of God. Let us read. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sins. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated me, both me and my father. But this is also to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. And when the advocate comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. May the Lord be worshipped and praised by the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the word that we have heard today. Lord, be with your people today in whatever platform that we are in, in our own homes. Father, we pray that you will open our hearts and you will illumine our souls so that we may be able to understand your word and apply them in our lives. Be with us, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Now, last week, Pastor Well brought us his sermon on the church first priority. And the priority there is no other than God himself. He shared with us that we must remember or constantly put to mind who God is and who we are, our identity with him. So we must always remember. Another thing that he uh, brought us is that we need to constantly re-examine and that as Christians, we ought to be uh, in a life that is repentant. Our life as Christians must be a life that is continuously repenting. And when we mean repentance, it means a renewed mind, a changed mind for God. So our constant re-examination of our lives must be part of who we are as Christians. And lastly, he told us that we must look forward. There's a call for us to look ahead to be forward-looking to the promises of God. And uh, in the difficulty that we are facing right now, it is comforting to know that our future is secure and, and that same future was assured no less than our Lord Jesus. So now that we know our priority, the church first priority, I'd like to ask this question. What is the call of the church? What are we called to do? If we know our priority, what are we called to do? And this is no secret. This is not rocket science. It has already been revealed to us. In fact, many of you would know this. And we've read that from this uh, chapter from the book of John. The 15th chapter of the book of John tells us ab about the vine. So we will study today the call of the church. What are we called to do? And what is our purpose as a church? Of course, this is a, uh, perhaps to many of you, uh, a rehash or something that is very familiar to you. But before we go and define what's our call as a church, we've been debunking familiar notions about the church. And we have been debunking the notion that the church is an organized religion or just a religious society. Well, for all legal purposes and intents, it is a religious society, at least in this jurisdiction or in whatever jurisdiction that you are in. Of course, it is a religious society. But that is not the essence of the church. The church is a community of believers. It's you and me. It is not confined in a space. It is not confined by a time nor dimension. 
Just look how we're spread right now. And the Christians over the last two millennia, the Christian in the 12th century, the 15th century, or the 16th century, we're all part of that church, that invisible church. The church is both visible and invisible. And now we are in different platforms. You are in your home. I am here. So the church is not confined in a time, space, or even a dimension. When this virus started, they say that the church is closed. This hall is closed, but the church is not. It will never be closed. The church will never be closed. It is open to every home right now. Your church is your home because the church is us. So the church will never be closed. It's a wrong notion. It's a wrong concept to say the church is closed. It's not. The halls are, but never the church. You are the church wherever you are. And there's a call for us. And so we Christians, wherever we are, wherever we are situated, no matter what expressions you have or this church have in worshiping God, whatever expressions of the gospel the church may have in their lives, the church will never be constrained by space and time. It has never been constrained by time, space, or uh, dimension, and it will never be constrained by anyone. And I think I've mentioned here in this pulpit, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we go to this uh, lesson that we have, the vine and the branches. In the text that we have read, we have seen here the image of the, the vine and the branches. We have seen this allegory. Now, allegory uh, means a picture. And here, the picture is the vine and the branches, grapes. Uh, and this image, this allegory, uh, represents something. We have seen here the vine, and the vine is no other than Jesus Christ himself used in this allegory, and the branches are the covenant people of God, and they are the branches. And we also see here, very clearly, the vine and the branches, a relationship, because the branches are connected to uh, the vine, and, that's, and there's a relationship there. So this relationship is being with and in the vine. It's connected, it's intertwined. But when we read this entire chapter, chapter 15 of the book of John, um, and of course we uh, have a lot of interpretation on this um, chapter, but interestingly, one theologian, Andreas Kostenberger, uh, offers us this explanation. According to him, and according, of course, to many Bible scholars, there's something interesting the way the in terminology, abide in me, or you are the vine and I'm the branches. There's something very interesting in the in terminology used or couched in the original language of this allegory by Jesus on the vine and the branches. Now, for us uh, second speakers, or if you are a native speaker of English, the in is only a preposition. It uh, gives you a location. But here, 
the preposition in or the in terminology, according to Bible scholar, particularly by Andreas Kostenberger, he said that the in there harks back to the Old Testament covenant theology that God will live and dwell with His people. And that is no um, a strange image because as I've mentioned earlier, the vine and the branches show relationship. And so what the Bible scholar is saying that whenever the preposition in is used in this text, it harks back to the Old Testament theology that God will be living with His people. He will dwell with His people. So, in other words, abide in me, referenced or is referenced on the verses that we can find in Exodus, Leviticus, Ezekiel, and with the many prophets, signifying the covenant of God. So whenever this word in would be there, it means it's a reminder to the people of God that I have made a covenant with you. And that covenant means I will dwell and I will live with you. I am the vine, you are the branches. We are together. We are one. We are united with God. And let me show you the references of this in terminology that we can find and referenced in this uh, allegory, vine and the branches. Let me read to you Exodus 25.8. And these are the references according to Bible scholars. Whenever in is uh, present in the text of John 15. It referenced here in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. It reads, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Of course, we can see here that God is telling them to make a sanctuary, a refuge, and, and God will dwell among them. Another is in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. I will put my dwelling place among you, meaning I will live with you, and I will not abhor you. I will not hate you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. So we can see here in these two verses that God is telling them that I will live with you. There's a relationship. I am one with you, similar to the allegory of the vine and the branches. I am part of you. I will be with you. I will live with you. I will dwell with you. And of course, another reference of the in terminology we could find in John chapter 15 is in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 27, 28. My dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Then the nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. Now, as we know, this is about the in terminology. It tells us about a relationship. So in other words, the reality of God living and dwelling with his people pertains to the relationship God wants with his People. And this is the call of God. The call of God is that He wanted to be one with us, 
to be united with Christ. And of course, that is the image that, is, that we can see from the text, from the vine. The vine and the branches. So, if God is calling us, if God is calling us to a relationship, if that is the call, and this verse, uh, chapter 15 of John, is reference to this old covenant theology we can find in Ezekiel, in Exodus, and Leviticus, if this pertains and talks about relationship, this is the question, what does this relationship entail? So what does this relationship uh, would mean for us? What aspects of this relationship we need to understand? Now, as covenant people of God, as a church, there are three things that I'll offer you today, the aspects of this relationship. Worship, welfare, and witness. The three W's. And we will discuss them today as we go along. So this is the call. As this verse, abide in me, is related to relationship, it's a call to relationship because the dwelling, the uh, living and, and coming of God is to call them to a relationship and that relationship would entail worship, welfare, and witness. So I'll go with the first one, worship. As I have mentioned and as we have seen a while ago in the verses that I have uh, given, the words and the image that we can find in the text that I will make a dwelling place in you, I will live with you, I will be your God and you will, uh, I will be your God and you will be my people. And of course, the very clear image, an allegory of the vine and the branches shows relationship. And this relationship should push us to have worship. It should lead us to worship. The essence, and I think I've mentioned here uh, several months ago, that the idea that God will dwell with us, the idea that God will be one with us, is to create relationship that would spring and would express worship. That is the relationship. The essence of God, and I'll say that again, the essence of God living and dwelling with us would create a relationship that springs and expresses worship to God. A lifestyle of worship, praise, adoration, glory, majesty to the one true God. And earlier, last week, Pastor Will mentioned about we need to remember who God is and that we need to remember who He is and who we are. And He is our God and we are His people. And based from that relationship, it must lead us to worship. Because worship is not just singing. And of course, we're also debunking that notion. Worship is not just clapping hands or raising your hands. Singing, clapping your hands, raising your uh, uh, jumping in our worship service are expressions of our worship. It's not bad. It's good, especially for us coming from this tradition. We, we clap our hands. We raise um, our hands. We, we, we shout. These are expressions of worship, and they are good. 
But we want, I want us to realize that when the Bible says worship, it does not just mean our expressions of worship. It calls for a lifestyle. Because here in this verse, as we are one with the vine, as we are connected to the vine, God is calling us to live with him, to be part of that dwelling place. And that dwelling place means relationship that will push us, spring, and express worship. Now, that is the first call of the church. As we have a relationship with God, we must be able to worship. And I would dare say here that in John chapter 15, verse 8 and 9, and let me just read that to you. In John chapter 15, it says here, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so to prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Again, the in-terminology we have seen there. But out of that love should spring from us worship to God. And I will say that to bear much fruit here is a fruit of a worshipful lifestyle of a believer. A life that is uh, committed to worship God. And I think that is one fruit of a Christian or a believer or a follower of God. You must be able to have a lifestyle or a life that is continuously worshiping God. Because as we have mentioned, worship is a lifestyle. Worship is life. We could have so many expressions of worship, but worship is a lifestyle. Because if people will see how we worship God, not just the way we raise our hand, not just the way we clap, not just the way we, we do how we, do, how, how we express our worship here, but the way we live our life, the Father, Jesus, will be glorified. And that is the fir first call of Christians. That is our first call, the first W, worship. That is our unmistakable call. Not just in expressions of worship, but an authentic lifestyle, always seeking to glorify God, always seeking the glory of God. But of course, I don't mean that we should not clap our hands or raise our hand or, or raise our hands or shout hallelujah or jump. I'm not referring to that. But more importantly, our lives should be an act of worship. So I'll share this with you because our relationship with God must be characterized by worship. A relationship that expresses and produces a lifestyle of worship, praising, glorifying, honoring, adoring the one true God. That relationship with God must be characterized by worship. That is our first call. And as we worship God, there are so many expressions of worship. Um, and I hope by now, whenever we worship, we will not be judging people. O bakit ganun sila mag-worship? Pag sila na pumapalakpak ng kamay, o hindi sila tumataas ng 
kanilang mga pumapatumulundag uh, or they're not even jumping. Because, you know, there's so many expressions of worship all over the world. And I was blessed uh, to have experienced worship uh, in various contexts uh, all over the world. And I'm just excited, you know, that in heaven, there will be a lot of expressions of worship, acts of worship, with our ethnicities, with our language, or even with our culture. And, um, and I say this, I will show you a bit of video on how the worship is expressed in some context that I've been to. And if you think you're Pentecostal enough, you haven't met our African brothers and sisters. I'll show you a uh, video, a video clip that I took uh, in Malawi. This is in southeastern Africa. Um, they are not Pentecostals, but see how these people worship God. Let's just look at this clip and, how, and be blessed by how these people express their worship to God. Let us just watch this uh, short clip. Well, the, the, the video that you have seen is they're not Pentecostals. They are Presbyterians. They're Reformed Presbyterians. And the way they worship is just so, wow, it's so, enth it's so enthralling. It's, it's magnificent. And the reason why it was very short, because I was called to dance with them. And we dance around 30 minutes, and they're not even Pentecostals. Could you imagine? That expression and the use of their language is very beautiful. Um, they, they are not just a cookie-cutter uh, worship songs from a worship band. And look at the, ex the expression of worship of the African people. And there's another one that I'll show you, another um, video. Uh, this one from uh, Papua New Guinea. They're not dancing this time as an expression of their worship. They're not jumping, but they're singing. Let's listen to this, another clip of a very beautiful singing of this church in Betele United Church in expressions of worship. I'm excited to go to heaven because I wanted to see all these beautiful languages, all these beautiful cultures uh, created by God, expressing our worship to God. And this, as I've mentioned, these are not a cookie-cutter uh, worship 
songs from worship bands. I'm nothing against them. Uh, please don't get me wrong. But there's something very beautiful. When um, I've recorded this um, worship service from the Betel United Church in Papua New Guinea, Whenever you hear that song, whenever they sing together, it's just so beautiful. You will feel goosebumps whenever these people sing. They don't just sing, they shout. They would have to be in chorus, in unison with one another because they believe that they only have an audience of one. They are singing, performing to God. And that is why you can see that they have unison. You could even hear the beautiful hum and the the very base of that um, music. And I will show you more some other time if you have seen how the Samoans also worship. It's also very beautiful. Expressions of worship. Lifestyle of worship. And that is the call of the church. The first call of the church is to worship God. That is our first call. And so I'd like to ask you this question. How do we live a life of worship to God? More than the expressions of worship, these videos that I have shown you, how do we live a life of worship to God? How do we glorify, honor, and give majesty and reverence to our God by the way we live our life? That is our first call, worship. And the second um, call of us, first is worship, and the second one is welfare. The second call of God to his covenant people is to love one another. And we could read that from verse 12 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This call to love one another, and when I say call, you are seeking the good of others. And therefore, when you love someone, you are seeking the welfare of that someone. And that call to seek the welfare of another being, of our brothers and sisters, the call to love one another could, never, could not be overemphasized. In loving one another, we actually prove that we are the disciples of Jesus. And... There's a standard of love that Jesus said here in verse 12 of John chapter 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So we know the answer to that question, to this question. How did Jesus love us? Jesus loved us unconditionally. Jesus loved us sacrificially. And that same quantum, that same standard is the same standard we need to apply whenever we love others. And that's difficult. That's not easy. And actually, if you are referring to the fruit, here in chapter 15, uh, as a vine in the branches, the first fruit should be a worship lifestyle. And the second fruit is love. You see, the call of God to the church as part of our fruit is love. Because you cannot fake love. As there will be some fake uh, fruits in a tree sometimes, or perhaps in your, on your table, you could see that you know, people will place uh, fake uh, plastic 
grapes, apples, or oranges on your table. But you cannot eat it. You cannot fake love. You cannot fake a real fruit in a way or eat a fake fruit. Same with love. You cannot consume a fake love. You cannot fake it. Because love is characterized by constancy, sacrifice, and self-giving. That is the hallmark of a true love. Because that is the kind of love Jesus gave us. Love is always giving. It's always sacrificing. Love is another unmistakable call to the church and a hallmark of a church. No less than Jesus Christ called us to love one another, to seek the good of our brothers and sisters, to seek their welfare. My dear brothers and sisters, we are not invited to love. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to seek the welfare of our brothers and sisters, not just like any other kind of welfare, but a welfare that is self-sacrificing and self-giving. It means to accept one another, to journey with one another, to bear each other's burden, to carry each other. And I have yet to find a greater expression greater than love. There could be no other greater expression of our uh, uh, community as a church other than love. The way to show to the world that we are the church is to love one another. To show love is to seek each other's welfare, to, to seek someone else's good. Not just for convenience, but to sacrifice. Let us consider these verses. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, earlier uh, before your chapter 15, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is very true also in this time of pandemic. This is very true. Our love for each other will be shown and will manifest to the world. And if they see, wow, these people love each other. What have, I, what have, what have, what have they eaten? Uh, what have I, what, 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 uh, what's there in them that, that will just propel them to love one another, to, to accept one another? And in Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, the freedom that we now have, now that we can choose, now that we can freely exercise our will, use this freedom, use this, uh, our ability to choose freely and willingly, not to indulge in the flesh, but freely and willingly Love. You can choose to love. Run towards love. You know, the notion of love has been cheapened by our 
usual hashtags. Love this or hashtag love uh, ice cream, hashtag love food, hashtag love, whatever the object of the blog. It's been cheapened by that. We would always have this familiar saying, I love this movie. Oh, I love um, ice cream. I love this. But love in its truest and deepest meaning, means, it means to give, to sacrifice, to put others above us. That is the essence of true love, to seek others' welfare. This is common to us, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, whenever we read this text, we would always just quote, let us not giving up meeting one another. But the purpose of us meeting one another is this, so that we may spur one another toward love and good deeds. And the reason why we will meet, we will have fellowship with one another, is for us to manifest that, to show that, so that our love for one another and our good deeds will be shown and manifested with our brothers and sisters. And so, because we need to love one another, we need to show our good deeds to one another, it says, don't give up meeting each other. Have fellowship. Be true to each other. That's what it means in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Why? Why do they need to show their love for one another? Why do they need to, to love one another and continue to meet one another? Well, of course, now meeting would have another conception, meaning meeting online might be considered meeting at this juncture of history. But why do we need to love one another to show good deeds? And why do we need that? Because all the more that we see the day approaching. Somebody asked me, do you believe that these are the signs of the times? I said, yes. The church will now, actually now, the church now is actually on the last days. And this is the reason why we need to love one another. Our love will be tested. My dear brothers and sisters, the church is called to a tough love. And to love tough. The church, since time immemorial, has been called to love tougher when the situations are difficult. The church is called to a tough love when the situations are difficult to seek each other's welfare because that is an act of worship as well. To love your brothers and sisters is also an act of worship lifestyle. And when we love one another as an act also of our worship, we glorify God. We can love because God has loved us. We are able to show our love for one another. We're able to forgive because we ourselves have been recipients of that love. Our first call is to worship. Our second call is to welfare, to love. And I would always relate love or seeking the welfare of others 
as an act of worship. Consider what Walter uh, Brueggemann said in Sabbath as resistance. And he said this, and I believe this. Worship that does not lead to neighborly compassion and justice, meaning a worship that does not lead to neighborly love and welfare, cannot be faithful worship of Yahweh. So if your worship will not lead to your neighborly compassion, love, justice, and welfare to someone else, it could never be a faithful worship of Yahweh. The offer is a phony Sabbath, according to Walter Brueggemann, Sabbath as resistance. So with that, now that we know that we are called to worship and we are called to welfare, this is my question. How do we show our care and concern to others? How do we manifest that we seek the welfare of others ahead of our own, especially during this time? How do you show your love and care and concern to others, to your neighbors? As what Walter Brueggemann said, worship that does not lead to neighborly compassion and justice is not and can never be a faithful worship to Yahweh. We are called to worship. We are called to seek welfare of each other or to love one another. And lastly, we are called to witness. Now, there's a relationship, and that's the reason why you see now in my presentation, I have I used a cyclical uh, image because they are interrelated with each other. The interrelations of worship, welfare, and witness. We need to witness for Jesus, witness his love, witness his resurrection, that power, his redemption. And the reason why um, it's like this, it's because as we glorify God through our worship, we could also glorify God by seeking the welfare of others, by loving each other. Because John chapter 15, uh, verse 12 says that if you love one another, and also in John chapter 13, if you love one another, you are proved to be my disciples. So in that way, God is glorified. So God is worshipped through our welfare. And because we seek each other's uh, welfare, we love one another, people will see that we are the disciples of God, and that is our witness. Our lives become a lifestyle of worship, that our lives itself, as we seek God, as we live our life, a worshipful lifestyle, as we seek each other's welfare, as we love one another, that becomes a witness in itself. The Bible says that. That as we love one another, we are proved to be the disciples of Jesus. That is our witness. Our love for one another, our worshipful lifestyle becomes so evident, so real, and so life-changing that it becomes a witness in itself. In John chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, we read here, But when the Helper comes, and it's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in verse 27, and you will bear witness because you have been with me 
from the beginning. Again, we will be able to witness for Jesus Christ because the verse says, you have been with me. Relationship. You have been with me. You are one with God. But going back to the earlier uh, point that I've made in the beginning of this sermon, I've said whenever the in there is mentioned in the scripture, it refers to the covenant, the dwelling place of God, that you will be my sanctuary, I will be your people. And here, when we go to John chapter 15, verse 27, it says, you will bear witness because you have been with me. Didn't God promise that I will be with you, you will be my people and I will be your God, I will dwell with you, togetherness, relationship, being united in Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why we would be able to witness for Jesus Christ, to proclaim his love by the way we care, by the way we carry ourselves, by the way we go on with our lifestyle as worship. That is our witness. In, John, in Acts uh, chapter 20, verses 24, this is what Apostle Paul is saying to us. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others, witnessing the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And in 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul also said this, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this is the reason why, why we would be able to witness for Jesus because the love of Christ compels us. Because it is the assignment given to us by God. It is the grace of God. And the grace of God in Acts 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 24, is related to Apostle Paul, related by Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We would need to witness the grace of God in our lives. The way we would worship God, the way we would uh, seek the welfare of others, these are acts of grace. These are the manifestations of grace and the gospel in our lives. And that is our witness. And so I will ask this question. How can we become effective witnesses of Jesus? How do you witness for Jesus Christ? Paano po kayo magiging epektibong um, uh, saksi ni Jesus? For me, we have already answered that question. We can only be effective witnesses of Jesus Christ if our lifestyle will be a lifestyle of worship and we love one another. We seek the welfare of each other. Those things become a witness in itself. And then they will ask, what's with us? What do we have? We have Jesus. We can witness for Jesus Christ. And that is the call of the church, to worship, 
to seek welfare, and to witness. That is what the church is called to do. Especially during this time of pandemic, especially during this very, the very difficult moment in our history, we are called to tough love. Let me show you this picture. This picture is a destroyer ship. It is between 6,000 to 12,000 ton. While it is sturdy and perhaps excellent in navigating difficult uh, uh, seas, it's a very sturdy one. It is not for leisure. This destroyer ship was made, designed for tough assignment. A destroyer usually has a very powerful radar, carries a long-range missile, operate alone or in a group battle to attack or to defend both in land and sea and to defend missile attack. Now, by showing this picture, I am not pro-armaments, I am not pro-war. I will just use this as an illustration of the church. The ship, the ship this ship, this, this destroyer, clearly is in a cruise. It may have inside the comforts and the fortress, but it's not created for anything or for entertainment. It was created for something larger. It was created for something larger than itself as a robust military defense. I'm using this as an analogy to the church because we, during this time, the church is called to worship, to welfare, and to witness. The church is called to be like a destroyer ship. We are called to be tough. And the church, hist the church history will tell you has never failed. Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This virus this thing that is happening around us will never, never, and will never ever defeat the church. It will not defeat you. The collapsing economy of the world because of this pandemic will not derail the church. But all the more, it will strengthen the church. Church history will prove you that. The church has never been built for leisure. Now I'll share this quote with you. The church is neither created for comfort nor for leisure. Rather, the church, she was created or she was conceived to withstand suffering, persecution, and difficulties. Like the destroyer ship, her best features are shown in adversity and hardship, not in wealth and entertainment. The people of God, the church, has always shown resilience in famine, in war, and in tribulation. The church was called to joy, not in the pleasures of the world, but to such eternal joy found only in her groom, Lord, and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The church's best features, my dear brothers and sisters, are not shown in the comforts of our halls, of, or this church, or this building. 
Our best features are shown in adversity. Our best features are shown when we love one another, when we worship God despite our situations, when we witness for Jesus Christ. That is where our best feature as a church will come out. The church will never be defeated. You will never be defeated because Jesus Christ promised that. The gates of hell and all it represents will not prevail against us. We will emerge out of this victorious. In a world full of despair, let me give you this hope. We, the people of God, we, the covenant people of God, as we abide in the vine, we will never be defeated. Our best features will be shown and will shine brightest during this time. Let us show it to the people. Let us proclaim that message of the gospel. We are called to worship God with our very lives, our entire being. And our entire being is dependent on it. We are created to worship and glorify God. We are commanded to love, to seek the welfare of others. And we are called to be witnesses to the saving power and redemption of Jesus Christ. Let us worship, seek the welfare of one another, and be witnesses of Jesus Christ. Let us all pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are with us. Salamat po, Panginoon, sa paalala niyo sa amin that we, your people, you have called us to worship you, to give welfare, to love, and to witness for you. Father, we pray that during these difficult times, for the many people who probably have lost their jobs, for the loved ones, our loved ones who have died during this, our battle uh, against this virus, our seemingly endless situation of fatigue and being at home and unable to travel, unable to go and to fellowship with one another, Lord, all of these things will not be a hindrance and will not foil your church. But Lord, help us to emerge victoriously out of this situation that our best features will be shown during these difficult times that we will help one another. We will also help others in this. And so, Father, I pray that you will help your people today. Be with them. Encourage them in the midst of their despair, in the midst of their hopelessness. Lord, be their hope. You are our Lord, our Redeemer. You have called us to joy, and that joy can only be found in you. Thank you, Lord. Be with your people today and the rest of the week as they would work in their workplaces or perhaps as they will be working in their homes. Lord, give them peace and give them comfort that all of these things shall come to pass. We worship you and glorify you, Lord. All this we ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Let us receive the Lord's benediction. May the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever in the name of our triune God, the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. And every believer and part of the church would say, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Maraming salamat mga kapatid sa pagsama nyo ngayong hapon sa amin. Nawasamahan nyo ulit kami uh, sa susunod na linggo sa aming pagpagsamba online sa Living Word Fellowship. May God bless you and may the peace of God reign in your hearts now and forevermore. Goodbye.